Hi, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen in on our Hillco Global Smarter Perspective podcast. As return listeners know, I'm your host, Steve Katz, and if this is your first time with us, well, then welcome. We're glad you could tune in. Today, we're regrouping with our friends from Gethler Henrik, Mark Sampson, Michael Appel, and Charvi Gupta to talk about some of the biggest challenges facing retailers as we enter Q3 of 2023. For frequent listeners and those that uh, may want to go back and review previous podcasts, this is a follow-up to our last discussion with Getzler, uh, which focused primarily on the trouble that returns were causing in the industry. And we're going to pick up with that same topic here and dig into some other areas of concern. So Mark, Michael, Charvi, thanks for joining us again. Uh, Thanks very much for having us. Uh, I'm sure the others will thank you as you ask your questions as well. Yes, exactly. So, Mark, listen, clearly, when we spoke last time, the costs associated with returns were really starting to create some serious issues for operators. I know a lot of companies have new return policies and practices that are in place. Can you catch us up on where things stand today and how these businesses are managing the returns beast, so to speak? Yeah, sure. Steve, uh, you know, just to refresh, online returns represents approximately 25% of more than a trillion dollars of revenue. Uh, 2023 looks like it's still on track to do a trillion dollars. In fact, the first quarter of 2023, there was approximately $250 billion in sales. This, of course, excludes brick and mortar sales. Product returns hurt every single business, online more so because of the huge shipping costs, which hurts the bottom line. And just by the way, for every $100 returned, $10 is fraudulent. Recently, all the public companies who reported Q1 results have been pretty vocal about returns that hit their bottom lines. Just to name a few, Target, Amazon, Zara, Coles, Lululemon, they all announced stricter return policies. Amazon announced a $1 fee on UPS returns. However, if UPS comes to your door, they'll charge the dollar. But to be clear, if you drop off your product at a uh, Whole Foods or at a UPS store, it's still free. But this created a great message for smaller businesses because smaller businesses saw this and they now realize that it's not wrong to actually charge for returns, whether it's a dollar or whether it's the full uh, cost. Amazon, of course, through algorithms, they track their customers, and anybody that's abusing the system, they very quickly uh, kicked out. And one example I just want to give you is that I had to return something, and I went to Whole Foods the other day. They made me walk up two flights of steps, and they had the returns at the back of the store. Another good example, Lululemon actually suspended returns for a full month so they could catch up. But to be clear, they honored all returns but they had to reorganize their controls and procedures. Retailers have to balance their desire to keep the customers versus preserving profits. There's always a compromise. Huge in the news is Bed Bath & Beyond, which is in bankruptcy, and all locations are currently being liquidated. They were destroyed by coupons and liberal return policies. Very few people were shopping without a coupon. In fact, Getzler Henrik, we're fortunate enough to also have restaurant clients. And we've stopped coupons with our clients at restaurants, and it's helped. 
I need to emphasize that companies that have a gross margin in excess of 70% are able to offer free returns as it's built into their selling price as they know their customers. It's the companies who are still trying to buy market share with lower selling prices and free shipping that will continue to lose money and eventually close down. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's so true, especially Bed Bath & Beyond. I remember shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, five, six, seven years ago, going in, not having a coupon. And then the uh, the person at checkout saying, oh, well, here, let me scan a coupon for you. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, the policies can just get out of control and create uh, create issues, as you pointed out. Um Mark, also, I know Getzler Henrik has a lot of clients in the online space. What can you tell us about how they, in, in many cases with you, your help, uh, have gone about addressing the profitability issues associated with returns, the, the rising issue of pilferage, which we've been hearing more and more about in San Francisco, for example, um, and how inflationary pre- pressures are factoring into all of that? Yeah, that's a great question, Steve. And it's, uh, you know, uh, you know Getzler Henrik is a team. We're guided our clients uh, with the three main things. The first one is free shipping threshold. Several of our clients raise free shipping between 50 and 75% with very little resistance. A quick example is if the average selling price of a specific product of a transaction for 2022 was $100 with free shipping, our clients raise the free shipping threshold to between 150 and 199 dollars, and we saw very little resistance. Mm-hmm. Apparel is the largest contributor of returns, and footwear, as a category, is 40 percent. So we really were successful in educating our client in terms of the free shipping. Restocking fee, we also told them, is that if a customer is going to return something because it's damaged, we get it; it's free, but if you charge a customer to return $5 on a $100 item, it's not going to hurt them. There's going to be very little resistance. And we found this to be true as well. For many years, appliance stores have had restocking fees of 25%. This makes the customer think twice before sending it back. The last one was educating the customer. This we thought was going to be the biggest challenge. But guess what? You switch on the news, be it a local channel, be it a regional channel, or nationwide. Every single day was the high rates of returns, inflation, and pilferage. So there hasn't been a company that hasn't been hit by returns. With regards to the inflationary side, at least 10 to 15% of price increases have been passed on to the consumer. as you know, we're uh, at the highest rate of inflation in 40 years. Selling prices, they just had to be raised. Uh, Getzler Hendrick, we assisted the companies by micromanaging prices every single skew up. The unfortunate part of inflation is it's hitting low-income families the hardest. Food inflation is way higher than the average 40-year high inflation. Supermarket prices have risen way above the 9% reported average in and in some cases, 25%, depending on the category. Eggs alone were up more than 150% before last week's reduction for the first time by approximately 14%. Inflation has caused the consumer to spend less 
on certain categories like electronics and spending more on essential products. In fact, I read today that families are holding back, fearing that back-to-school prices are going to be up at least 15%. Inflation, as the government told us last week, is moderating, but maybe it's the calm before the storm. As mentioned, every local national news channel is discussing inflation, which leads me to pilferage, which is adding fuel to the fire. There's been a whopping 26% increase in pilferage, which is up from approximately 80 billion to approximately 100 billion. This excludes the organized smash and grab crime happening at high-end retails where individual items cost thousands of dollars. Target recently announced a ride of 500 million because of pilferage. Pharmacies and supermarkets are keeping even moderately priced desirable products locked up. This is due to the relaxation of prosecuting shoplifters as well as self-service, which has caused a huge uptick in stealing. Another interesting fact is the Westfield shopping mall, who we know used to manage the World Trade Center, two weeks ago gave the keys back to their lender because of the huge pilferage of crime issues in San Francisco. And I'm sure Michael can add to all the facts that I've just mentioned. Yeah, I mean that's that's quite a, quite a uh, collection there, and as you said, the pilferage issue uh, seems to be growing. We hear more and more about it every every week, it seems. And San Francisco seems to be uh, unfortunately leading in that area. So, Michael, yeah, given all this, how would you characterize the prognosis for the balance of twenty three? Yeah, well, uh, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Mark. And, and following up on you know Mark's discussion of some of the of the major issues as well as the headwinds that are facing retailers. You know, this has been going on now really since the, since the whole year of 2022, and we're now seeing it continue in 2023. And so based on these headwinds of, you know, inflation and increase in interest rates, uh, et cetera, I, I mean, what customers are doing is they're saying, you know, given, given the discretionary wallet that they have, they're becoming much more discriminating and how and where they will spend their money. And the value quotient is becoming more and more important. And it's not just deals, it's just value for the money. So in addition to that, uh, you know, what, what's sort of interesting is, is that the economy itself is, is really not, not that bad. Uh, but despite the fact that unemployment is low and that we've been seeing wage increases across the board, uh, consumer sentiment is at a six month low. And added to that, it seems like almost every day there's a new uh, a new story in the media talking about that. And the latest one, I think, really is the discussion of the fact that student loan repayments are going to redo, resume on August 30th. And that's going to present another headwind uh, in terms of those those consumers that have uh, to resume their student loan repayments, which are not inconsiderable, despite that fact. All right. Despite the fact that the Q1 results for many retailers were tough and challenging and that they're, they're revising their guidance downward for the rest of the year, there are some winners and some sectors that are winning. And so if you look at the winners, you can see uh, people like Lululemon, Aritzia, Ulta, Walmart, and, and the Walt and the, the off prices, which is not surprising that when we're, when consumers are value driven, they're going to the off prices. And, and even in, even in luxury goods, we're seeing a slowdown. There's still 
They're still doing fine, but they're not increasing at the rate that they were in, in 2022. And when you're looking at the categories by categories, you know, the, because of the increase in interest rates and the fact that people were cooped up for a couple of years with COVID and we're, we're buying home, ca- you know, all the home categories, the home categories pretty much across the board are being challenged. And so where they were the benefit of the stimulus, they're now facing uh, headwinds. And then looking at, looking at it from that perspective as well is with the reopening of the, of the economy from the pandemic winding down, lifestyle changes are, are, are driving consumer behavior. So whereas people, you know, weren't traveling, weren't eating out. I mean, we're seeing record travel rates, uh, for July 4th weekend and restaurants are, are full and people are spending their money on more socializing activities like that. Yeah. Yeah. Look at, I mean, the news is reporting, uh, record travel. Uh, the, I mean, obviously we've had some weather issues recently with these problems from Canada. Uh, but I mean, you've got so many people traveling, so many people trying to get in these experiential, uh, type opportunities that they missed out on in COVID. So as, you know, as we look ahead with all of this in mind, what's the answer for retailers? You know, where should their efforts be focused, generally speaking? And how are you and the team advising them uh, in terms of driving efficiencies and attacking ongoing threats and costs to their profitability moving ahead? Right. And, and listen, that's on the, that's on, certainly on the mind of almost every retailer today. And I think that, you know, from our perspective, what we're, what we're saying and advising our clients is that you can't sit back and be reactive. You have to be proactive and really serving your customers in terms of fashion, value, and fit. All those things are critical. And you know, you've got to be facing the fact that from a, from a macro perspective, the higher cost of doing business as, as Amnic Channel continues to grow puts pressure on margin and EBITDA. Because you know, in the old days, it was okay. You know, you had a fleet of stores. And maybe you had a catalog business or small direct response business. But today, omnichannel means that customers are shopping in stores, online, are accessing social media, and also are expecting to receive more services as part of the shopping experience. And that is buy online, pick up in store, ship from store, curbside pickup. And of course, we spoke about the more liberal return and shipping policies. And at the same time, in addition to that, all right, to add more fuel to the fire, uh, frontline workers uh, are, are catching up on wages. And you can see across the board, regardless of whether you're, you're mass or discount or luxury, the frontline workers are catching up on wages. So overall, the overall cost of doing business is rising faster than revenue. And so in order to, to win, all right, or even to stay even from where they were, you know, 10 years ago, the retailers must use more levers to drive efficiencies. So you've got to drive more efficiencies out of, out of your existing business model and still at the same time, make sure that the customer facing activities are giving the customer what they want. And so therefore, you know, retailers must be proactive to attack the cost and revenue drivers. And so what we're seeing, uh, almost every day, we're seeing another news article about how retailers are proactively Cutting expenses, particularly we're seeing it in terms of corporate headcount. Almost every day, we've been seeing another major retailer announce that. As a matter of fact, Children's Place today said they were cutting 17% of their corporate staff. Wow. And, and yeah, 
And so, and we're not talking about, and what they're looking at is a combination of two things. One is higher cost of doing business and the fact that they're facing tough business ahead, that they feel that way. So in order to get ahead of the curve, they're doing that. And what they want to do also is they feel they can cut corporate, but at the same time, they really do not want to cut the frontline employee situation. But when you look at the e-commerce part of the business, again, what Mark spoke about in terms of reevaluating and reducing delivery and return expense, because that's another opportunity area to, to do that. And, and we're seeing that the customers are accepting that as long as it, they consider it to be fair and reasonable. And, you know, the thing too is that you've got to use your analytic tools, as Mark talked about in terms of what, what should the shipping threshold be, right? If your average order size is a, you know, $150, why are you doing free shipping at 100? All right. It should be 175 or 200 in that regard. And we, we have worked with our, with our clients in, in helping them to, to really uh, dig down, analyze and come up with, with those types of responses. The next piece, of course, is a leaner, but more focused inventories. And the, the thing about it is, is that we just came out of a situation where, uh, during COVID, we had source, you know, uh, sourcing issues and supply chain issues. And the retailers reacted and ended up with inventories that were, you know, at historic highs. You know, I think Nike was talking about the fact that their inventories were running 40% more than the year before. Well, Nike can get their way out of that, but um, in the long run, you can't do that. And at the same time, you've got to reduce your inventories, but you also have to focus them in such a way that you're giving the consumer what they want. And I think that in this environment, when customers are really looking at how they spend their money, the, the natural inclination in the past of many retailers has been to sort of play it safe, right? Tried and true. But actually, when business is tough and customers are discriminating, what you have to do is you have to give them fashion and newness and exciting excitement in order to get them to open up their wallets. Because that, that woman is going to, you know, if she's got a pair of black pants in her closet, she doesn't need another one. But she's going to want to get a new blouse or new accessories to dress that up and have her wallet stretch further. And then, of course, and, and I can't stress this too much, is utilizing uh, AI learning platforms to really train and engage frontline employees and provide better service to the customers. And there are AI platforms that I have introduced companies that have had a terrific effect, both in terms of of really getting more productivity and engagement for employees, but also reducing turnover, which is very high in retail. And if you can reduce for every percent, you can reduce turnover. That that goes right down to the bottom line. So again, looking ahead in terms of the second half of the year, I think that the strong promotional focus that we've been seeing will continue and may even intensify in the fourth quarter. We're going to see based on back to school sales, you know, that, that gives you an indication, but it's not the, it, it's not a complete predictor of, of what's going to happen in the fourth quarter where, where retailers, most retailers make most, if not all of their money. Now, in order to do that, in order to be promotional and, and, and make money, all right, instead of give away your margins, uh, retailers must be proactive. Uh, in planning promotions with their vendors and supply chain to ensure margins, yet drive volume and send out a value message. So if you know that the environment is going to be highly promotional, 
And I'm, I'm positive that that's the case. Then you've got to work, you've got to look ahead, work with your supply chain. If you're, you know, a brand or with your vendor base, if you buy from the market to, to plan it. And so that you're, you're in control of what's going on. And, and I also think that, you know, the retailers that over the, the last five years have really invested in technology, uh, will continue to deliver better results because they, they really have the analytic tools to be able to, to analyze and drive results. Uh, and I think what you're also going to see is just a continuation of the bifurcation in results between winners and losers. Uh, and that's going to continue in the fourth quarter. And we continue to see that those retailers that really have a strong focus on their, their consumer have invested in technology and, um, really are proactive in terms of how they present themselves to consumers and deliver to them the value and experience they're receiving will continue to do really well. And those retailers who have, who haven't are, are going to find themselves by the wayside. So, so I think, you know, in, 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 um, in summary, what you're going to see is that retailers at this point, uh, based on results here today, will continue to be cautious going in, in, you know, you know, going into holiday and into the first half of 2024. Now, if business opens up at holiday, the fourth quarter, and some people think that may happen, then uh, that may caution may change a bit, but it's really too, too, too soon to tell. Okay. A lot of good messages there. Uh, proactivity seems to be maybe the biggest watchword. Thanks uh, so much for all those insights, Michael and Mark. And Charvi, I know you've been sitting sitting tight patiently there. Um, we're kind of running out of time here. So let's plan to continue this discussion uh, on our next podcast, which I think is going to take place in a couple months. Uh, but maybe you can give us a little bit of a preview of what you're planning to discuss for that. Sure, Steve. I hope listeners will tune in when we get back together because I'll be discussing the importance of business planning and forecasting for retailers in this challenging environment. These days, it's quite common to hear about retailers getting forced to quickly address liquidity concerns. Companies often resort to asset sales, site closures, layoffs, vendor negotiations, and so on. Retailers spend a lot of time and effort in figuring out strategies for cash generation and preservation. Given that cash really is the lifeblood of any business, it's quite important for management to really plan in advance for both short and long term. In the short term, um, we recommend using this tool called 13 Week Cash Flow that provides an excellent overview of how liquidity could look like for a quarter. Um, so it basically provides a forecast of cash receipts and disbursements and really helps in answering questions such as, well, we have been hitting these huge sales targets during the holiday season. Why is cash in the bank so low? Or our annual insurance payments are due in January. Do we have sufficient fund for that? Or we're low on cash in week seven. Can we push out a vendor payment from week seven to week eight, maybe? So it's a great tool for adding that weekly visibility. So it's accurate enough for you to identify medium-term liquidity issues. And 13 weeks provide ample time to really take action and resolve things. Now, in the long term, we want retailers to really ask the question, what do we need today to accomplish our three to five-year goal? Having a long-term business plan is an important step towards accomplishing that. This can literally be a back-of-the-envelope plan where you know what you want and are making sure that each day you're working towards it 
or it can also be a very well thought out tactical plan that will make it a smoother ride. All right. Uh, great insights. Thanks so much uh, for those, Michael and Mark and Charvi. Thanks for giving us a little preview of what you're going to talk about next time. I know listeners will be very interested. And I also know that they're probably going to want to follow up with some of you. So uh, would somebody just like to serve as a point person for that? Maybe, Michael, you can give your contact info. And if anybody has a question, they can go through you. Thank you, Steve. Um, and thank you for your for your great moder- moderation of this uh, of this podcast. Uh, you could reach me at my email address at Getzler Henrik, which is M A P E L at GetzlerHenrik.com. And by phone on my mobile at 917-789-3615. All right, Michael. Thank you. Perfect. And listeners, as always, we hope that this Smarter Perspective podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to help make them that much more successful moving forward. And remember that you can check out more great podcasts and articles featuring timely insights from Hilco experts at hilcoglobal.com forward slash smarter dash perspectives. Until next time for Hilco Global, I'm Steve Katz.